Welcome to episode 13 then. No, 14. <laughs> Welcome to episode 14. This is the beginning of the episode. We always start now with arguments about what the fucking episode number is called. <laughs> so that's very good. Yeah. We, <laughs> it's we always, we always invent some number, but, but we're in the double, double digits, so we don't care anymore. So Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do this thing. So, uh, no, not no special um, guests and no. Well, actually, yes, some special guests, but in a kind of um, historic sense. Yes. Uh, because we're going to do this. This is a this is a kind of special show. Uh, we're going to do two specials. Mm -hmm. This is the first one. Um, no, fuck! I'll edit this out. <laughs> 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 All right. This. this <laughs> No, it is, it is. It is the second one. Shit. Okay, I'll let that out. Right. This is the, <laughs> this is the first of two specials that yes. um, that are recordings of interviews we did at Euroclosure 2016 in good old Bratislava um, in Slovakia. Uh, this was. Uh, we're going to have four um, interviewees on this one. Do you remember who they were, Vijay? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we talked Remember the first one? The, because, first, you know, the first one that, is Colin. That, yeah. that was your nemesis, wasn't it? Colin, well, technically, Colin, Colin is not nemesis. He's a very nice guy, I think. <laughs> uh, but what he's doing is, is not is devil's work. Well, not... <laughs> maybe not. Uh, anyway... Sorry, Colin, if you're if you're listening to this, um, you did call him a devil on the show, so I, I, I probably um, I think he did. Uh, I apologize, oh, but I know, so, I know yeah, there, are, there are a lot of people who are interested in uh, in listening to him. And we, he, he, <laughs> so, he we, was, so we start with a devil talking yeah. about cursive. That yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, each of these segments are about like uh, 15, 20 minutes long, aren't they? So yeah, they're yeah, fairly yeah. short interviews. Yeah. Um, they're really kind of interviews around the stuff that the people are doing. So, so yeah, Colin is the is the cursive guy, and then next we've got John Pither. Yeah. So John is uh, from uh, the consulting company called Juxt, and probably you know him from his blog post about closure at a bank and closure at a publishing company. Uh, he's now working at Juxt, helping um, companies write uh, closure code along with Malcolm and other people. Yeah, the thing I like about John as well is he does a lot of when he when he does talks, he always gives good talks, and um, so definitely kind of look back at some of his talks. Um, this was a very nice, um, light-hearted chat about growing a cons growing a consultancy in closure, um, and also um, legacy code and how he came back to the same code base. So we really recommend listening to that one as well, obviously. Um, mm. And then, uh, sorry, you, you, did you want to say something more about John? No, no, it's okay. Okay, okay. On, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we have um, the uh, we have Srihari uh, from uh, Milenso, which is a company in India, and he was also a speaker at Euroclosure. We got to uh, we got to talk to him about um, what he does and and what his company does. And uh, at Euroclosure, he gave a talk about um, South Indian music generation and everything. So if you haven't checked out his talk, I really recommend checking it out and um, the euro closure videos are up already um and that's uh, that's the third um interview that we have in this episode and um finally for this episode we have karin meyer um 
Yeah, so yeah. we start with a devil and end with an angel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a bit yes. too cheesy? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, so. I, think, I think it is. Uh, yeah, it is, yeah, okay. Well, Fine. we really want Karen Mayer on our podcast, so that helps. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was uh, fantastic to talk to her and, and meet her, and um, she was very kind to um, sit with us for some time and um, exp- ask, answer our questions. Um, she's working at Cognica, sorry, Cognitect. Yeah, uh, I shouldn't name our competitors. Um, <laughs> uh, also, she's um, uh, the author of the Living Closure, which is a very nice introductory book about closure. So those are the four talks that that we have for um, part one. Um, So that's pretty much it. And um, I think all I can say is enjoy the interviews and uh, do let us know what you think. Uh, And we would like to, uh, not we would like to, but we will soon publish the videos of them on YouTube pretty soon. Yeah, I think we we're we're nearly um, done with the videos. We hopefully will record those in uh, in the coming weeks. Um, it does take a while, unfortunately, to get these videos sorted out. Uh, yeah, I just want to add that there is a little bit of a sound quality issue on the recordings because we only had one microphone and we're passing a microphone around from person to person. So sometimes you hear the little clicks on the microphone or maybe sometimes you hear people not speaking quite so loud as you'd like them. So apologies for that up, um, up front. Um, we still think that the vast majority of the quality of the recordings is pretty excellent. But yeah, enjoy the interviews and um, look forward to the next episode, part two, that will be released also very shortly. Yeah. Okay. Cheers, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. Welcome to our first ever Defen talk show podcast combo. Um, I don't know how it's going to work out. We'll see. But we've got an awesome guest, Mr. Colin Fleming. Hello, Colin. We're going to do a bit of mic swapping here, by the way. So just watch out for that. I'll, I'll be leaning in in an intimate fashion here while I'm talking. Yeah. Leaning in? Uh, oh, uh, just. <laughs> okay, Colin. Uh, yeah, no, that's, it's, it's, then, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll grab it. All right. Who has the mic is speaking. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's good to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Right, we've got to give VJ a chance to speak now. I know he probably has lost his tongue a little bit in front of the devil um, that is cursive, um, but let's just <laughs> give him a try. Yeah, so uh, this is going to be a proper, uh, I don't know, a clash of religious beliefs, I would say. So Colin uh, is the creator of cursive, obviously, and uh, I'm... Well, I'm to shake hands with him. Um, let's just see that happen. I mean, like Hillary and Donald, you know, let's see it happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so I'm, I'm obviously I'm an devout Emacs user. So, well, let's not talk about Emacs uh, today. Uh, let's uh, talk about a bit more about Cursive. Uh, so, you're you're coming all the way from New Zealand, and, and um, this is your uh, how many number of Euro closures have you been, and how how is Bratislava treating you? So, it's the third Euro closure I've been to. I've been to the last two. I was in Barcelona last year, and in uh, in Krakow the year before that. Um, and Bratislava has been great. I actually only arrived right before the conference started yesterday. So, um, so I've only seen the interior of the pub last night and the interior of the venue here, basically. But I'm sure Bratislava is lovely. People tell me it's very nice. So, I, I but I just haven't seen very much of it yet. But the conference has been great. I mean, I, I really like the closure conferences. They're always a small, sort of friendly crowd. Um, because I've been to quite a few of them now. I've, I've been to the Conj and Euro Closure a couple of times, um, and Closure West. So. 
So you meet a lot of the same people, and, it, and it's like being in my lounge at home with some mates at this stage. So it's uh, so it's great. I mean, I, I always really enjoy coming to them. They're a very friendly crowd, and yeah, yeah, they're really right. good. So, so, did you fly all the way here in one stop? Did you um, did you like take one stop? Then you're going to go straight back tomorrow or the, the day after? What's your plan in the, in Europe? No, so so I have actually done that a couple of times at the US conferences and from New Zealand it's definitely quite a beating. It's around a 24-hour trip from New Zealand to the US and it's only a six-hour time difference but it's still quite quite difficult and it's in, it's in the wrong direction, the jet lag when you're going to the States. No, but um, I was actually already in Europe, so my wife is Spanish, so, um, so I spend a bunch of time in Europe every year um, so our daughter can hang out with the in-laws. Um, so yes, I wouldn't have come from New Zealand just for Euro closure, but but when when I was in Europe, it's um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's doable. That's right. And I'm actually I'm going to the Conge from Europe as well, even though it's still quite a long trip. It's it's about half as long as from New Zealand, and and also about half the cost. So uh, so I'll definitely be uh, looking forward to that as well. All right. Maybe uh, we give, uh, yeah, give sure. the Emacs. Yes. The uh, so we, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you keep writing cursive code in Emacs. So we, you don't need to, you don't need to, uh, you know, say it on, on the on the camera anyway. So um, I was wondering. So what's your? I know that you have an unsession un plan tonight about cursive, and uh, a little bit about that. Uh, if you can tell, you know, what what are you planning to do uh, in that one? And also maybe as as a bonus question, what are your plans for cursive? I mean, what what are you working on right now? So that'll be great as well. Yeah. Um, so right, so the unsession is tonight um, at nine o'clock. Um, so I've done unsessions at a couple of at a couple of previous conferences. I think this is the first time they've done one at Euroclosure, but they they do them as pretty standard in the US conferences. And um, yeah, the unsessions are always a lot of fun. Um, so I haven't prepared a huge amount. I basically what I basically do is I get up and I start demoing things and randomly until people ask me questions and then I answer the questions and then it sort of goes from there. So it's always very informal. Um, so, so definitely if people are interested, they have you know, the questions they want answered or they just want to see what it's all about um, and definitely come along. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like them because it's a much smaller, it's a very different experience to speaking at a conference because you can sort of interact with everyone and, and it's very much question driven. Um, so and and you also you talk about a lot more about um, things than just the technical aspects, like sort right. of um, which is which is good. Um, in terms when, of when is your actual? Uh, I know this is not going to be live, so it doesn't really matter. We can cut this out. But <laughs> when is your actual in session? So I it, it's at nine o'clock tonight. Nine o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in terms of what I'm working on, I mean, I always have a ton of stuff planned for Cursive and I never have enough time to work on it. So I'd, actually, I haven't been working on Cursive as much as I would like the last couple of months, but I'm about to start getting more into it again. Um, Clojure script support is probably the, the top thing on my list. So um, Cursive already has pretty good Clojure script support, but a lot of stuff around um, starting the ripples. Uh, so I've been talking to Bruce Hellman um, and also to Antonin Hildebrandt, um, Hildebrandt here at the, uh, the Conch, who wrote um, DRAC and CLGS DevTools. So I'd like to speak to both of them about integrating FigWheel and all the DevTool stuff and, and Cursive because it all works very well, but getting it set up can be quite difficult. So if I can have a one-click Clojure script ripple, I think that would be yeah, that would be very attractive to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so I need to improve CLJC support, and then I, I always have a ton of stuff to do. I'd like to add boot support, for example. Um, that's quite difficult because of the nature of boot, but it's definitely becoming more and more important. So I'm going to need to do something quite soon. Um, and other than that, just fixing bugs, new stuff, spec support um, will be coming up sometime soon. Um, 
What's that? 1.9. 1.9, right. Um, yeah, so I've already I've, I've added a bunch of support for a lot of the namespace keyword stuff that's, um, that's going to be required for spec. But spec has a lot of scope to, to actually provide good editor support, I think. So marking errors in the editor when things don't conform to specs, especially around the macro specs, things like that, when people are spec to function and, and cursive can see that the spec is expecting an int and you've passed a string, something like that. So all of that should be, should yeah. be doable, I think. And even just, what's that, sorry? Yeah, exactly. And, and, um, and just showing basically the specs and parameter pop-ups and things like that in the documentation, all of that I think will be, will be very useful. Okay, I think that's, that's going to be very exciting for us closure dev uh, cursive devotees to look forward to. Um, but I noticed on, the, uh, on the, 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 the closure mailing group, there's been a bit of conversation recently about types and with the spec stuff coming up. And you've had a little chat about Kotlin and things like that. And I know you're, you've been advocating that kind of, let's say, more typed stuff around the stuff at the interfaces between closure and Java. Um, Maybe could you give us like two minutes on why you're advocating for that? Because I, I think it's quite interesting because clearly if you're all closure, then spec does the job for that. But where you've got this interop interface, you know, where you're mining that essentially with uh, cursive, then I guess it's a tougher job. So maybe right. you could just give us two minutes on that. That would be really good. Sure. So um, I, I'm not sure I can do it justice in two minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of time. It's okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a complicated topic. And I think... Um, so I, I haven't fully worked out exactly why cursive suffers so badly from null pointer exceptions because when I when I talk to closure developers they pretty much fall into two quite extreme camps who are either I never see null pointer exceptions um, or I see them all the time and they ruin my life yeah. um, and and I'm definitely in the second camp and I haven't quite figured out so. So you're right, the cursive basically is almost all API surface. I mean, there's almost nothing I do in cursive that doesn't call into IntelliJ, which is Java, obviously, at some point. Um, and, and so what the, the thing that Kotlin does really, really nicely is that because Kotlin allows you to express whether a type can be null or not, um, if you're assigning a value that comes back from Java to a not nullable variable, it will automatically um, insert an assertion at that point. So as soon as a value is not what you expect, you'll get an exception. So spec does actually allow you to do that, um, but the problem is you have to do it all the way around your API boundary, and in my case, that's that's half the application. So, so I'm actually very excited about spec. I mean, it's, sure, an, sure. it's an amazing system, but um, it, it's a tool like any other, and it works better in, um, in some cases than in others, and I think particularly the fact that spec relies on generative testing to, to increase the confidence you have in your functions. I can't really use that so much because, because all of my code talks to IntelliJ and the generative testing aspect doesn't work so well. Um, so, and, and I guess it, it's not really surprising that Kotlin works well for my use case because it's developed by JetBrains and so their use case is exactly my use case and, and it does work very nicely for that. Um, I still don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to write all of Cursive in Kotlin. I'd much rather be using Clojure. And, sure. I, and I'm kind of sad that I don't have a better solution for this yet. So I'm, I'm sort of casting around. And I've actually had some interesting conversations with people here at the conference. Um, I spoke to David Nolan about it a couple of weeks ago as well. So, so there are, I have some ideas there that are not fully developed yet. And I'm hopeful that I can come up with something that is at least sort of 90% Clojure-like, but maybe helps me fix this problem. But I, I don't. 
I don't fully know what it's going to look like yet. So maybe some kind of library or something around that, that, that layer, maybe something like that? Yeah, possibly. So, some sort of static analysis ahead of time, maybe. The problem is, is that to automatically um, insert the assertions where you need them, it needs some kind of integration with the compiler. So, so if I were using spec, I would have to say, I want all these functions to be, to be instrumented to, at runtime. Um, and you pay quite a, a reasonable sort of cost for that. Obviously, the, the null checks that Kotlin inserts also impose a runtime cost. But assuming that the assertion is correct, um, Hotspot should completely optimize that away. Um, a spec will probably have a slightly more overhead. It should still be pretty efficient, I think. But the main thing is, is that I have to annotate all the functions manually saying, you know, I want runtime checks at these and these and these points, whereas with Kotlin, it just happens magically. But for that to happen, it, you need some kind of integration with the compiler. Right. Well, well, thank you very much. I think it's been an amazing first ever episode yeah. of the Deaf and Talk Show Stroke podcast. I don't know if uh, you want to add some final remarks to, to Colin? Um, yeah, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us, and this has been a pretty exciting time for us, I think. <laughs> and uh, we'd really love to have you on the show, uh, on the podcast at some time, so we can go deeper into what, what you're working on and uh, perhaps uh, spread the news around a bit about Cursive and tell people that, um, well, well, it, it's going to be very difficult for me, you know, honestly, but um, what you never know, so uh, we'll, we'll try that out. Yeah? Yeah. So I'll just drop him off for one show, okay? We'll just have a private conversation, <laughs> Colin, okay? No problem. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Okay. It's been really fantastic mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, okay. Thanks Cheers, very Colin. much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Okay, uh, we have uh, John from Jext uh, today. Um, welcome to the our first talk show format of, of our podcast for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so this has been uh, this has been an amazing. Of course, the honor is all ours. Um, so, um, first of all, uh, this is a fifth Euro closure. How many Euro closures have you been to, and how how is Bratislava uh, Euro closure for you so far? Um, so I'll answer those in sequence. So this is my fifth Euro closure. I talked at the first two, and then I talked at the fourth. So I was actually hoping to talk at every single one, but uh, I think they wouldn't allow that, and rightly so as well. He wants to hear from me, you know, for that length of time. Um, but this conference is. It's great. The venue is fantastic, isn't it? And, uh, and just the vibe as well. The sort of unsessions and chats that are going on at the top on the balcony. Having a great time. Yeah. So, uh, and you are also sponsors of, uh, of, of EuroClosure now, and you've been running Closure Consultancy for some time. And I've seen you speaking about Closure at a bank, Closure at a publishing company, and you, you have a lot of experience with uh, um, building large Closure projects. So uh, can you give us some idea about your, you know, the, the difficulties or, or the fun stuff that you're facing um, building a closure consultancy? Yeah, sure. So Jux has been going for about um, four years. Um, and really, it's, there's lots of developers out there that want to do closure. So I think it's kind of funny when you speak to companies and they say, oh, we'll never be able to hire in closure. We can't hire closure devs. There's more closure devs on the market right now that are actively searching for good projects and there are the good projects. So every client that has dabbled in closure or used closure always uh, reports back that the hiring is one of the best things about it because they, they sort of get the CVs coming in, they get people actively seeking them out, and then the people that seek them out are top quality as well. So it's sort of a win-win for the employer. So that's a... 
that's one of the good experiences. And it's good for Jux as a company because we're very opinionated about our stack. We, we only do things using Clojure. If we had a client that said, yeah, we love you guys, but we want to use Scala, then we'd probably just say no. So the way that we're so opinionated, I think, attracts good developers uh, that want to work with us. So that's one of the strengths of, of Jux, and it's one of the things that really excites us. So you, you started with um, Clojure almost how many years ago? Uh, from, the, from the beginning of Clojure? Or? I've been doing Clojure uh, since 2010, so that's probably six years. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a good journey. As you say, we started with Clojure um, in, in the banks. That's how I met my business partner, Malcolm, because he was doing Clojure in a bank, and he had a rob called Clojure in a bank, and my rob was Clojure at a bank. So we sort of like looked each other up, and who is this person that's, that's in my space that's capturing my domain? So uh, yes, we sort of met, and we went for lunch, and then we, we said, you know, we love this technology, and we love the fact that it energizes companies, and people want to do things simpler and they want to reduce waste, and that could be the basis of a services company. We want to take that out and do it more often at more places. So that's what really inspired us to start with Just. So we were having a chat before about building up a big project, and you were saying about refactoring code and stuff like that. And it's, I think it's one of these things where, like you said before, uh, if you're building up and getting excited about stuff, um, everyone's really loving Greenfield projects. You know, they love that kind of stuff. Every developer wants to be on the cutting edge of technology with Greenfield projects. But I guess at some point you have to, you know, get real and it has to be brownfield or it has to be, you know, a year in or two years in. Things must change a little bit, you know, when you're doing things like day in, day out in closure. The kind of like the excitement, the, the, the kind of uh, passion maybe wears off or how are you finding that in terms of like, now you've done it professionally for so many years. How are you finding that experience? I think that's a great question. It goes to the heart of one of the issues that I think does concern employers and, and does concern me, which is we're in a strange place where we've gone for a language where there's simplicity and there's less bloat and waste. But there is a side of it that can happen where developers look at this new technology, the new languages and frameworks, and sometimes they, they get a little bit drunk, like, oh, let's, you know, let's use this, let's yeah, use that, let's, you know, we're going to need this sort of distributed orchestration computation engine. We're going to, you know, we have to have it. We have to, you know, use spec or schema everywhere, like every yeah, single yeah. function. So I think we've gone for this simpler tool set, but then it's the next frontier of waste that bothers me. It's, it's, it's I think... The way to do it is you still need leaders, is, I think is what you said, Rare. You, 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 you still need somebody that's on that bridge that's sort of making sure that developers are still adhering to business value and business focus. And we're not just picking up the technologies mm -hmm. and going through it, we're still maintaining that business focus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What, what are the challenges for um, The challenges of... of I mean, you are a leadership uh, person, you are a well, I think I've made mistakes in the past. It's, um, I think on one of our big projects, um, I, I, I was very much trying to get buy-in from everybody and treat the project as a democracy. It's almost like now we're in a new space where we've got really fantastic developers and the tooling is fantastic. There's a temptation to think it should all come together and it's just going to naturally evolve to be an amazing project. But I've since learned that there really is no free lunch. It's, you know, software is not a democracy. You still need somebody that, that listens and understands and empathizes with 
the developers on the ground, but ultimately sort of maintains the uh, the sort of respect of the trust that the clients put, put in us when they bring us onto their projects and they spend all that money basically to craft that delivery team. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting because I mean I I am also like into architecture and stuff like that, and you know we we work um, with projects in an enterprise architecture mode where you have to tell people, okay, well if you're going to do persistence, for example, you have to do it a certain way, use a certain way, but you don't want all the styles to be completely different from one project or one application to the next. Obviously, things are going to evolve. You know, you're not going to say, right, okay. You guys didn't use spec in the past, you use schema, so you've got to change everything tomorrow. There may be some advantages in doing that, um, but often it's not going to be the case. You're going to have to live with code that's a year or two old, and you know it's going to have to evolve over time when the business value is, is there, when people want to change it. You know, and uh, So is that something which you're also thinking about, is you know, how do I keep, keep things fresh, but at the same time maintain uh, an existing code base that is still serving the business? I think so, yes. It's, it's like I'm a big believer that, that code always evolves. It's like the sort of, you know, I really got into Paul Graham's um, kind of writings about the organic bottom-up lisp. Yeah. And, it, and also like this idea that your software is like a house. It's like you move in, you live in there, and you, you, you know, you're constantly trying to make it better. You're constantly sort of trying to enrich the style of it. But I think the organic bottom-up thing is important because you're ever evolving the business language and the business is never done. So the code is always looking to to sort of evolve and to meet the business halfway. So you layer on that business domain on top of the code. And uh, and I find that particularly appealing. Um, I, I've just come onto a project that I was on three years ago, which is the big newspaper. And there's 25,000 lines of code there. And for me, it's been a fantastic experience to to go back to a code base that you were primarily involved in and it's it was a bit of a shock at first because i sort of rocked up and one guy was quite angry with me he you know he was like <laughs> exactly and he he said he built it too fast it's, there's not enough abstractions there's not enough this there's not enough that there's not enough types not enough schemas and i felt at first i felt dismayed actually it was it was, you know, I yeah. kind of wrote this and there's people aren't happy and, uh, you know, it's now showing some problems. So I spent the first few days completely humbled, actually, because I went in there thinking there might be some sort of uh, respect for what we did or there might be some sort of praise, but it was, it was kind of the, the opposite. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's like being judged ultimately, you know, you know, when you pass on or something. So, no, it was nice. But, but then I've sort of, I'm, I'm really happy now because I've proved... To myself, I think, and maybe we can share this in some way, that you can refactor a huge closure code base. Like this code base is really big, and it needed refactoring. Like, uh, and the smart people that, that were there when I joined them, their ideas were really good, actually. Like, you know, because they've been with it, they've seen it with fresh eyes, but they they couldn't quite have the capacity, I think, just just to implement some of those changes. So we had a sort of perfect storm where I had the energy, I had the experience of the code base. But I had enough of a gap in someone else's ideas to, yeah. to, to how to improve it. And uh, myself and somebody else from Juxt, we, we worked there for about two months and we've just refactored so much of it. And you can refactor a big 
and close your code base. You, you can untangle it. You can bring it back. You can separate it. You can do these things. And I just don't think the same would be true if it was like in Ruby or Java, you know, where it just explodes out. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's still a win for closure, even though it's been a bit of a painful experience. Well, you know, obviously, uh, you're a busy man. Euroclosure is a busy event for you, John. So thank you very much for taking the time out to, to talk to the deaf and guys. Yeah. On, on the podcast, we put it on the podcast, this one. If it all works out with the YouTube and our new tech, our new tech lead here, our new media en engineer. <laughs> then, um, you know, hopefully we get it out on the YouTubes as well. And uh, so thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Hey, uh, Srihari, right? Yeah. Hey, uh, welcome to Def and uh, Talk Show, Talk show. slash podcast. <laughs> Hopefully, it's going to be a video, but we'll see. Um, so, you just gave a talk about uh, making music with with closure, yeah. uh, especially the South Indian Carnatic music. And uh, you're, you're you're obviously from India, and you're you're working for the company Nilenzo, right? So, can you give us some background on what your company does and and what is your experience with closure? And also a bit about your, your talk, which is uh, based on music. I, I don't think it's related to your company, though, but we never know. So, uh, so I've worked at Nilenso for the last three years. I've been here since uh, its inception. Um, we're a bunch of people who uh, just want to do deeply interesting technology. Um, and we were earlier, like five years ago, a Ruby shop. Um, and then, like, we moved over to Clojure like three years ago, and since then it's just been Clojure all the time. Um, we are a consultancy, and we are structured as a cooperative, so everyone's an equal partner. Uh, and there are like 14, 15 of us right now, um, and most of our clients uh, tend to be in the Bay Area, uh, but we have an Indonesian and an Indian customer now, so that's progress, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, we get to work in the same time zone for a change. Um, uh, so, yeah, it, it's been interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, just maybe a second, just one little background question there. It's like what motivated the change in your team um, from Ruby to Clojure? Um, so, Stephen Diobald, um, <laughs> who happened to be with us, um, uh, had written Clojure before at DRW. Uh, so, he's probably the guy with the most Clojure experience on the team. So, he had written it for like seven years back then. Um, and he wanted for us to try it out on one of our clients' projects. And this was actually uh, Runa at the time, if you were familiar yeah, with that, yeah. right? Uh, so, a bunch of us knew people from Runa. And, and they'd just gotten acquired by Staples and they'd become Staples Labs. Ah. And so we got to work with those folks yeah. and then the Cognitech folks yeah. uh, there. Um, so that was pretty cool. So we got on board and we were productive for some reason within like uh, two months in and we were like writing a closure code that was going into production. Yeah. And it was like, this is actually quite productive. Yeah. And uh, I seem to be getting a whole lot of work done in much less time. Yeah. And I guess that was like proof yeah. <laughs> it was good enough for me like like the language sort of um, got out of the way like I spent like three months going through joy of closure uh, doing a bunch of closure on the side before I actually picked up actual work but when I did it felt like it really got out of the way and I got to focus on the problem more yeah that that was it for me okay whoops let's just put it around that way 
So you're, you're also one of the main sponsors of Euroclosure. So uh, thanks a lot for that. I mean, without uh, sponsorship, yeah. uh, we, we wouldn't be here and doing all this stuff. So that, that's pretty great. And uh, so y your company is, is a consulting company. And um, you, you guys do, other than Clojure, other projects as well? Or, or how, how does it work? Which technologies do you, do you work in mostly? Um, uh, we seem to like functional programming quite a bit. Um, so like I said, we're just a bunch of hackers who really like to uh, pick up like uh, the thing that's most technically challenging. So Haskell seems to be something uh, that people <laughs> are interested in at the moment. But largely though, like 95% of uh, the work that we do tends to be in Clojure. Uh, we don't do any front-end stuff at all, but uh, this little stuff that we do tends to be in React, JavaScript sort of space because it needs to be that, <laughs> apparently. Um, and there's like some parts like Abhinav from the company has managed to like put uh, an OLTP to OLAP transformer in Haskell in production. So that's like uh, a deterministic system that can be formally typed quite easily. And that's the sort of thing that you will want to write in Haskell. So he did that. Uh, so that's about it, I guess. Mostly, though, it's closure. So uh, re regarding your talk, so you, you gave a talk about um, generating music, uh, with, with, especially Carnatic music. Uh, so this is something that, um, I, because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with Carnatic music and slightly familiar with Western music. So uh, obviously, I'm ignorant in both of those things. So I think I can, I can ask stupid questions now. Uh, so. I felt that the Western music is very, uh, you know, fret-based, instrument-friendly, so to speak. Like you know, uh, and Carnatic music has all this stuff that you listed in in the talk, uh, that like gamakas and all that stuff. So, what is your what is your motivation to do generation of music, of especially Carnatic music, and what what are your goals with this one? Is it just a hobby, or is it something like you want to take it to a next level? Um. So my fascination with this started off uh, when I was doing, you know, Turbo C++ and you can make those <laughs> weird CPU sounds. And then I used to play these things that I was learning uh, as a kid and I was like, hey, I can make the machine make music. Um, then with like uh, Clojure and Overtone, as, as soon as I found it, I was like, hey, I can do this really quickly. And I got there in like really fast. Like I basically built all the abstraction that I showed within a day really easily. Uh, and then... Um, that built sort of the freedom that I needed to take things forward. Right? Uh, so Carnatic music, like you said, does have a sense of continuity that Western, most Western music does not. Um, and modeling that was interesting, right? Like, now how do I make something that's built for Western music, uh, mostly make Indian music sounds? That was a challenge. Uh, and I wanted to do that. I, w I really wanted to solve that as a problem. Uh, and it was interesting to me, something I picked up on a weekend. Um, I actually don't even forget where that started, but uh, I mean, like, I, I, like that was a fascination. I, I wanted to solve that and I got somewhere with it. And then uh, once you have clean code that just works mostly, you know, you, you have this freedom of uh, ripping things apart and then you can add things newly that's quite easy to do. And I guess I just sort of kept doing that more and more. And um, there are actually quite a few people who tried to do um, like Carnatic computational music. Um, and the reason why this is actually a thing is because it's interesting in Indian music. There are a lot of these um, 
concepts like gamakams and ragas which are constraints uh, that you can use to model right you're sort of blind when you want to understand what is melody and and what makes music more melodious and you want to sort of grab every single abstraction that you can find and implement it and use it to make some generative music that is melodious um so carnatic music happens to have a few of those and carnatic uh, music also has a large history and like there's an evolution of knowledge that you can use to do something here uh so there is this uh, mtg at barcelona and they have uh, this thing called uh, comp music which is funded by the eu um and that uh, organization funds other research in india in iit madras and bombay uh, and these people do research on indian classical music as well uh so i'm definitely not like the only person doing this music the yeah. this stuff uh and a lot of inspiration comes from these people and there's just a single chain that that like it took me a while to figure out that oh this whole thing is just one thing yeah. uh i just knew individual people that did this yeah. uh so yeah i guess the next step for me it was like sort of bring these people together yeah. there's a whole bunch of uh, people doing these little small things mm-hmm. and i wanted to like bring them together and see like take this to the next step okay. i really feel like uh people you know so i know a whole lot of people who just have these big collections of books like oh my granddad gave this to me and it has these beautiful uh, compositions that are completely lost now yeah. or like i'll look at my collection as the biggest thing possible i don't think those things should exist i think it should just be a, a generic database should like all this data should be in wikipedia um so i guess a lot of my inspiration for doing this is also that I feel Carnatic music should move into the digital age. It's it's yeah. very long, far back now, and it needs to move in. So, sorry. Oops, we have a we have a loop. So, um, my final question then: uh, Emacs or uh, something else? Ah, <laughs> uh, so another another Emacs guy. Just get out of here, okay? We've had enough of you now. God damn it! <laughs> no, that's brilliant. Thanks very much. It's inspirational stuff. All right. Well, uh yeah. So, Karen, welcome to Defen Talk Show and Podcast. Maybe use the talk show if we all worked out with the uh with the videos. Um thanks for coming along. Uh we're going to talk to you a little bit about living with closure, the book Living Closure, about various things that you're doing, you know, in your in your daytime and in your in your nighttime activities. well at least to do with closure um and uh yeah so i don't know do you want to give a bit of background um about kind of how you got into closure and and sort of what sort of things you're doing these days um sure yeah happy to be here um yeah so i got into closure uh, the years kind of go by now <laughs> but a while ago maybe about 5 5 years ago um i was a java developer uh and enjoyed working in the language um but i wanted to learn a functional Um, language. So my two choices I wanted to look at were Clojure or Scala. And for me, I I kind of approached it that I like learning a, a spoken language. I just wanted to be immersed in a different way of doing things. Um so I chose Clojure. <laughs> And I had never been exposed to Lisp before. So I don't know if I fell in love with like Lisp or I fell in love with Clojure, but once I saw it, it you know <laughs> Yeah. There is no going back. It was just—it was so beautiful. And then, of course, it's practical. You can 
get all your Java using your Java libraries yeah. and lives on the JVM. So you can still use the things that you you were sort of used to before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> You're an expert. <laughs> so BJ. So um, this is your first Euro closure, or have you been here before? And also, you're going to talk about spec today, right? And, and can you give us some idea about what the talk is about uh, a little bit? Yeah. yeah, no, this is my first year closure. So um, actually, my first time in this part of the um, area. And uh, it's just beautiful. So and all the people that I've met are super nice and super smart. So it's been a great experience um, all around. Uh, so today, I'm actually going to be talking about um, spec and um, a couple of kind of creative experiments that I've done with it. Um, one is with combining spec with genetic programming, and uh, the other is combining spec with self-healing code. So this is uh, like when a function gets a runtime error, if it can use spec to sort of heal itself for that time and subsequent times. Um, so the, the hope is, is uh, you know, I always love taking advantage of um, having a group of people interested in closure and so many smart people out there. Um, it's great to share ideas and hopefully get people's creative juices going mm -hmm. and um, inspire them to uh, explore more with spec. So closure is code generating code and now you're going to code fixing code itself, then basically we're all done. So <laughs> we, don't, uh, we don't need to write code anymore because it's gonna fix itself. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so uh, you, 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 you were just saying that you, you joined Cognitect one year ago. So can you give us some uh, insight into what kind of work you do there and uh, you know, your experience with Java before, which kind of projects that you worked on? Um. Yeah, so um, it's been great working for Cognitect. I work uh, remotely, so most of the time I am working in my um, house, um, although I try to get out <laughs> and about. <laughs> Though there was one time during the winter. Yeah, yeah, there is, there, but it is a danger. You get so comfy at home um, because, like, during the winter, you don't want to go out. But I realized I hadn't actually left the house for a whole week. Wow. And I was like, I really should, should get out. <laughs> but uh, it, it's a great experience. Um, uh, so we do consulting work. So um, I like that because I get to see a lot of different things. Um, depending on how long the project is, you get to ex be exposed to working with big companies or um, working for startups, um, even working for um, game companies, <laughs> which was a, a bit fun. Um, so yeah, I get to do uh, front end closure script stuff. Um, back-end stuff, and then, of course, uh, I have to dip my toes in Java every now and then, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, fantastic. Okay, so also, you, as well as being the kind of consultant and a speaker, you've also written a book as well. Um, so, Living Closure, introductory book. Um, I remember you talking on some, um, I don't know if it was a speech you made or if it was a podcast, um, to talking about the kind of motivations for it, like the storytelling. Maybe you can just recap that a little bit about why, you know, what, what was the motive? Because obviously writing a book is very hard. You know, I haven't done it, he hasn't done it. You know, we, we're just very, you know, in awe of people that will put the effort into writing books. I think it's impressive. Um, so what was the motivation to go through all that pain? Well, first of all, I didn't know how hard it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's like childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had, I had this idea that, 
well, I write blog posts. It's yeah. not that much different, it's but just multiple blog posts. Multiple blog posts. No, it's <laughs> it's it's a lot different. But it was. A, I'm glad that um, I went through it. Um, but yeah, I I, I believe that um, narratives or storytelling is uh, core to our human experience, and there's some been some research to back that up. So uh, I think if you can combine telling stories with trying to teach, it hits at a different level than if you um, take the narrative out. So I try to <laughs> incorporate um, some narratives um, whenever I'm trying to um, you know, get, get across concepts because uh, I think it helps, or at least some people it resonates with. Uh, the other part for a living closure, the motivation was uh, one, one night I, I helped organize the functional programmers group in Cincinnati. And um, you know, not, they're not all closure developers. They come from all walks. And somebody uh, had said, you know, I had tried to learn closure last weekend in two days, and it was just too hard. I just, <laughs> you know, I read a whole book in two days, and I just don't get it. And I was like, well, that, that's like me, um, you know, not um, exercising regularly at all, trying to run a, you know, 5K. Um, and saying, oh, this is too tough. I can't, I can't run. You, you need to have some sort of expectation that you can't do it all at once and that you need to slowly, especially if you're coming from a different paradigm, like object oriented, it actually takes your brain time to change and time to make those new connections and start thinking and modeling the world in a different way. So, uh, I think, you know, we should set people up for this is going to be a process <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> and you're not going to get it all at once and it's going to take some time. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, I mean, athletics is a good one in terms of getting some training and like I think other people have talked about learning a musical instrument and stuff like that where, you know, yeah, you can kind of make a noise pretty quickly but actually if you want to become proficient at it or, you know, skilled then it's going to take a bit of practice and all those kind of things. So why do you think the closure though, uh, what, what is, maybe it's a list spot or some, there's something about closure that, that maybe, or FP, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of blabbing around now. But there is some kind of barrier, mental barrier to either FP or closure or something where, and maybe it was like that, and I started as a, as a C programmer and then eventually went into OO, and it took a while for me to get OO, I guess. Um, but do you think we're going through the same barrier with FP, or is there something special about FP, or it's just, it's just something we have to go through where, you know, the... the the programming community just has to basically get their head around it. It's a hard question. It's a hard well, um, do your best. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my my own personal view of it is it's um, just the way you look around the world and you're translating problems and how you want to model the world, and that changes drastically if you look around and you see everything as objects, you know, and. Mm. Uh, or you see things as, you know, beautiful chain data flows, you know, just that mental representation. Um, and I actually have a, a picture in, in my um, talk this afternoon. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the duck rabbit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It can, yeah. It's a, it's a illusion. If you look at it one way, it looks oh, like yeah, a duck. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, and if you, yeah, if you look yeah. at I'm it, it's yeah. <laughs> a duck-billed platypus. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you look at it one way, it looks like a duck, and you look at it another way, it looks like a rabbit. Well, if you're so used to seeing mm. just Ducks. the duck, mm. you know, it's going to take you a while. But at, at some point, if you learn both ways of thinking, you can see the, both the duck and the rabbit. Yeah, right, <laughs> so, right, right. They coexist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know which one's the functional duck. 
<laughs> well, they do say if it, if it walks like a duck and talk, quacks like a duck. You know, so. Okay. Well, okay, this is great. Uh, any uh, any um, last remarks, yeah, Vijay? Um, so you use Emacs, right? Oh my God. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so before we wrap up, and so. Let me stop him now. Stop <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, um, so. Um, Apart from obviously closure is a big part of I me. Mean, you, you're you're working full time. You're working for closure stuff. So what else are you into? I, I see. I see that you your talks are not just technical. Always they're they're related to something outside the general programming stuff. Like today you're going to do the genetic programming thing. I remember there was something related to the bio, biology stuff before. Uh, so what are your hobbies apart from writing closure? <laughs> Um, well, I, I really um, I'm a big integration proponent and integration of um, you know different disciplines into computer science and different taking things from different languages and bringing it into closure. So that's really what kind of gets me excited when um, you know I can um, learn about slime mold <laughs> and you know learn about these cool self organizations that all these things are just like little cells all together, but together they they can self-organize themselves and really have complex behavior. Mm -hmm. And how do you then you know, take those ideas and maybe translate them into our computer programming field? And you know, just yeah. there, there's all sorts of things we can learn from different fields. And uh, that's kind of what gets me excited. Brilliant. All right, okay, well, thanks very much, Karen. Okay, we'll, I think we'll stop there. And, uh...